Hey, I want to welcome everybody. I'm Todd Wilson and uh, co-hosting with Sean Lovejoy here. Hey, Sean. Hey, great to be with you, my friend. You're uh, where today, Sean? I'm at my home study in, in Birmingham, Alabama. So the question is, is that a real picture behind is that real books behind you or is that a uh, green people ask me, yeah people ask me if those are real books which is funny and people ask me if i've read most of them and i actually have yeah well sean and i are going to be uh, co-hosting this brand new this is the first episode called on leadership i've been super excited to do this sean uh haven't done one of these shows with leadership i know your whole career is leadership stuff so i'm Thrilled to just get to be your little side pilot here and uh, watch. Oh, come on. Watch come on. on hard. Yeah, you're one of the best leaders I've ever met, man. And you've built some amazing things, you know, throughout your career. So, yeah, you know a little bit about it. Well, I've really been looking forward to it and especially doing it with you. Let's spend a couple of minutes just uh, kind of setting the stage for things and uh, kind of, you know, we, we've had the advantage of. I don't know how many years now, I think 20 years of relationship almost probably. So close. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're a lot of things we've done together. Um, Sean and I, Sean, when he, Sean, you, you know, I'll let you go into it, but uh, more of your background, Sean, when I met him was a mega church pastor running this uh, church mountain Lake and coming Georgia. Uh, my mother happened to live down the street. So I, yeah. it was a nice convenient way of getting there. And uh, most importantly for me at the time, Sean was running a national ministry called churchplanters.com. And so why don't we just, as we're getting started here, Sean, like, like if that's where I met you. Give us a little bit of the background, even leading up to that, what you were, you know, have you always been a ministry guy? Like yeah. you sometime woke up at age seven and said, I'm going to be a lead pastor someday, or like, what's the... What's the yeah. what's the backstory before Mountain Lake and churchplanters.com? Some people know bits and pieces of that part of my story. A lot of people don't. My family's been in the real estate business for 50 years. And that's all really all I ever wanted to do. Came out of college. I was a chip off the old block. I was the top selling agent in our county. Um, the year I felt like God called me to the ministry. <laughs> Walked in, told my dad I was going to be leaving the family business. That was not a fun conversation at first. Um, he compared me to David Koresh that day. Do you remember that part of my story, Todd? He said, Sean, even David Koresh thought he was doing God's will. That's what he told yeah, me that right. day. <laughs> but um, after, he became my biggest fan and cheerleader, and he's my best friend. I've spoken to him a couple times today, but went off to seminary. I uh, ran into a crazy professor at New Orleans Seminary who had planted a church in Denver in 1989, and I said, that's how I'm wired. And um, moved to Atlanta to plant a church. But I always felt like an executive trapped in a pastor's body. I always did. Like, I never enjoyed preaching. I joke about the fact that church grew in spite of my preaching. <laughs> I was always better between Sundays. But I soon realized a lot of pastors feel really confident on Sundays, but not between Sundays. And I, I, I excelled at all of that. So it was actually February 20 years ago, started formally you know, coaching some church planters to get better between Sundays. And over time, I'm a, I'm a member of the Rotary and the Chamber of Commerce in my city. That was my missional expression. And business people start asking me to consult and coach with them. And over time, I realized I'm a pretty good mega church pastor, but I'm a really good coach. <laughs> like that's, that's what I'm best in the world at. 
and um, made that prayerful decision six years ago now to hand off the church and launch Courage to Lead full-time. And it's been a wild ride ever since. Yeah. And, yeah. and just so you're back in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Why Birmingham? And tell well, us I grew up in, I grew up in this area, you know, but the, when I handed my church off, you know, I felt like it was best for me to leave and allow the other leader room to breathe. And, um, you know, one of the questions you ask when you hand off your church, you need to decrease so they can increase. Um, so who's going to be my pastor? You know, and I, I really respect Chris Hodges here at Church of the Highlands. You know, we're not a perfect church, but we're a healthy church. And of course, they've been in an amazing growth cycle. So it's been a case study to watch, like what makes a very fast growing church tick and how do you maintain growth and health in tandem? And a lot of churches don't do that well. We've worked with a lot of fast-growing churches, and the wheels fall off, and things get unhealthy, and marriages get unhealthy. And, you know, there is a way where you can fulfill the Great Commission and be faithful to the Great Commandment. And that's kind of what we coach and teach around anyway. Hmm. That's great. uh, You've led a lot of amazing things as well. I mean, I I remember, I mean, we we had a coaching or conferencing organization before you did, and then Exponential – comes out of nowhere and becomes this national thing overnight, you know, but a lot of people don't realize how smart you really are and how many degrees you got. Um, but, but I, your IQ is definitely higher than mine. <laughs> and you're what I call a level five leader in that you don't need the platform. You don't need to be famous. You know, I don't know if you've ever taught at a main session from the stage at exponential and don't and yet, plan to. And yet it's this amazing, amazingly successful you know, worldwide recognized, you know, ministry brand. So hats off to you and Christ in you. Thanks. Well, I, I don't know about all the smarts and all that. I, I do know when I, I, we won't go into the details of the backstory here, Sean, but I, uh, I do know that me and a group of college buddies have never been involved in any kind of issues with the law or the police officers or anything like that. So I, I I'm sitting here realizing uh, I think the funniest story possibly that I've ever heard in ministry involves you and some college buzz- buddies. <laughs> we'll oh, save that for another episode we'll because I have been that. arrested. I've been in jail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm realizing with uh, not so much in a bad way, but uh, I, I think I've got an amazing book in me someday, which is the backstory of megachurch pastors and police officers. I think that the, uh, the stories I could tell just with, with that alone would be That's very fun. true. Very, very, very true. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's get serious here. We're uh, the topic of what Sean and I are going to be doing over the next several months is on leadership. Um, Sean has, he, he's had so long to be working on this and thinking about it, a framework of lots of different topics from sy- simple systems to cultures to different things, the issues that leaders have to deal with. And so what we're going to be doing over the, you know, we're going to pilot it here for about a quarter and every other week we'll be on live. What we're going to do is uh, probably a lot of banter. And instead of bringing on teachers to just, you know, get 30 or 40 minutes of teaching, Sean and I are going to, from our experience, real life experience, we're just going to talk about topics. We'll bring in current news events. Uh, you know, we'll talk about things that have happened recently in the news and try to link it to leadership topics. And that'll be the the simple format. We want to encourage you 
Um, we are going to take Q&A, but we're going to try to integrate it throughout what we're doing. So when and if you have any questions on what's being said, don't wait till the end. Just start putting those into the yes. chat window and we will uh, do our best to try to fit questions in and take them as we go. We'll always have some amount of content we want to try to get through, but we're going to do it in more of a relational interactive, uh, interactive way. So we, we, we may not always agree, but we will, I promise you, always be unified and try to model uh, maybe contrary to Washington, D.C. right now, we'll try to model healthy uh, conversations and, and unity even when we're not agreeing with things. So uh, I would say as a lead in, you know, if, if you were having to design a leadership thing like we're doing on leadership for a bunch of weeks, you know, how do you prioritize? There's so many topics and where do you start and what do you jump into? And because we were serious about the, you know, just this, uh, in the news kinds of things. I mean, you don't have to look very far in the news right now to figure out between the pandemic and all the impact of COVID on fill in the blank and an election cycle that's been the most possibly divisive, at least in our lifetimes kind of thing. There's so much going on in the news that we thought a good place to start was right there with what's the impact of COVID and then what's the what can we glean and and learn leadership lessons from Washington kind of thing. So, Sean, let me start here kind of thing. You work with lots of, you know, thousands of leaders. You're, you got your finger on the pulse of a lot of things you're hearing the last six, eight, 10 months with COVID. Just walk us through maybe two or three of the top felt and real needs that you're hearing from pastors right now. Well, one, you know, I know we've got pastors watching this directly today. I just want to say to you, pastors, hey, you're not alone. <laughs> you know, Elijah thought he was alone, and that's when he threw the pity party. You just need to know your brothers and sisters are undergoing the same hardships everywhere. It's not just you. It's not just harder in your city. It's everywhere. <laughs> and it's the most difficult time to be a pastor in my lifetime. I'll turn 50 next month. And been around pastors, you know, for 25 years now. Um, it's the toughest time to be a pastor in my lifetime. So if the if it feels like the struggle is intense and it's real, um, welcome to the team. <laughs> welcome to the party. Um, the second thing I would say that'll encourage pastors is I think we just had one of the most innovative years in the history of the New Testament church. I saw churches pivot and learn and innovate in ways on a wide scale, not just a few churches, not just a few fast growing churches. One of the churches we worked with in Boston, Todd, they stored ammunition in the basement for the colonial army. They're, they're our oldest church we've ever worked with, you know, and they have probably had the greatest year of innovation in, in the history of their church, you know, because they had to, they had to. And scarcity creates urgency, which creates innovation. And I just say hats off to you guys for being willing to experiment, being willing to innovate, being willing to learn. And um, uh, another issue we'll, we're going to get into later is just, it's, it's accelerated and exposed. You know, if we were struggling, it's exposed and accelerated that. 
if we had issues up under the hood that were not where they need to be, just all that got exposed. So, but you got to confront the brutal facts, Jim Collins said, in order to get better. So even that, you know, so I just say to pastors today, don't, there's a thin line between being convicted and, and being condemned. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the good news is we've gotten challenged about some things and we got better. And then of course there's been paralysis out there. A lot of leaders have been afraid to speak out um, about some of the issues that have festered up. Some did speak out, got slapped on the wrist publicly. And, and because of that, you know, there's this apprehensiveness now to, to really think and be a messenger. And that's kind of, you know, where this discussion lies today. Hmm. But let, let's press in a little bit. I mean, one of your items is this has been an incredibly innovative year that churches have had to innovate. But then you subtly, you also said that this this idea of amplify, we're, it would be one thing if we were just amplifying the best in what we're doing. But amplify, apply, you know, what you're really, you know, I like to use the metaphor of what you put on a copy machine. You never get a better copy than the original. And so... Part of, I think, what you're saying with Amplify is it amplifies both the good things we're doing, but it's amplifying some of it's showing or revealing some of the cracks in our armor, some of the weaknesses in things. Is that what you're saying? Very true. Very true. Yeah. And then yeah. this idea of paralysis may partly be linked to where churches are or, or leaders, not just churches. I mean, let's be clear. We're, we're also talking to business leaders and marketplace leaders here, too. Yeah. These same things apply. So you're, you're saying it's very easy when you're in a context where innovation is happening and needs to be happening, you're realizing you're caught in this, you know, fast moving current that you need to be innovating. And all of a sudden, you're also seeing some of the cracks in your armor or some of the weaknesses and some of the limitations and maybe some of the things where you don't have the capacity to lead into the innovation that can possibly lead to paralysis. It can be that you're seeing the need. Is that, am I characterizing kind of time? Yeah, yeah, which kind of leads also to like dark places like discouragement and despair. And, you know, my friend William Vanderblumen says he's, you know, they've had dozens and dozens of pastors in their 50s and 60s say, hey, we've been exposed, you know, and I, I, I think this has helped me realize I'm not the guy you know, to pastor this church the next 10 years. And that may be the Holy Spirit, but it may just be, you know, us being challenged to get better and to change and let go of some long-held beliefs or convictions or constraints. And we need to kind of reinvent ourselves and reinvent how we, how we approach engaging people and speaking what we, you know, how we posture ourselves as a ministry and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a great time. Somebody's already chatted into the conversation today. If it's the most difficult time to, re, is, it, is it also the best time to be a pastor? <laughs> and our friend Ed Stetzer, he says, church growth and prosperity have been anti-cyclical. When, a, when an economy is prospering, <laughs> church, church attendance usually goes down. Re read the Old Testament even, you know. When, when things get tough, people cry out, you know, they humble themselves and fall on their faces. And so there's a lot of that happening right now, too. In this idea of the sort of the amplifying, let, let's go to the negatives or the weaknesses, the sort of the cracks in the armor. Um, when you look across the, you know, just say the leaders you've been working with or that you're affiliated with, 
What are some of the categories within, you know, if you were just saying categories of leadership or issues, whether it's systems or culture or whatever it might be, what are some of the weaknesses or top ones that are being revealed during this time? Yeah, well, you know, being able to, to be in the offices every day, you know, with your leaders, if, if, we have a, if we have a paid staff and being around them all the time, like you can pick up on things, you can pick up on morale issues, you can pick up on lack of follow through, you know, you can sort of keep tabs on whether people are being faithful to fulfill their responsibilities. You know, when we're all in our basements and bedrooms and we're on Zoom and we don't know where everybody is all the time, there's a little bit of a lack of accountability not knowing what's going on, morale, you know, um, I sent you that predictive index survey, surveyed thousands of CEOs. They said lack of team cohesion is the number one issue CEOs are facing, you know, and I think that's true in churches. You know, we're, we, we've seen a giving drop off. We've seen uh, volunteer teams, you know, having to be, be rebuilt from the ground up um, because there's been some vision loss at the edges, you know, but sometimes at the center. And um, a lot of guys have called me and said, man, we've got this guy for the first time trying to, out here at this campus, <laughs> you know, trying to turn it into its own plant when that's not what it's supposed to be. And we weren't, we weren't facing this issue a few months ago. And I think the pandemic's just exposed some of that, accelerated. So it was there, but we were able to keep our thumbs on top of it quicker, address it quicker, and being more remote and virtual has, has, you know, sort of uh, multiply the idea. I, I want to just to have a picture in my mind, Sean, you use the word accountability and you actually talked about two different dimensions. And I want to kind of, is it like two sides of a coin, actually? One side is what we, what I heard you say is the normal kind of accountability of like, are people getting done what they're supposed to get done sort of thing? You know, it's the, are we on track to do what we're supposed to do? But then there's this more touchy-feely side, which is where just by being in a position to listen and see, it's the finger on the pulse of health and cohesiveness and compatibility. And maybe the things you don't, it's hard to put a goal or a numerical number to, but it's more of this sense of a feeling of whether things are, are right. Did I hear you right there that that's kind of like two sides of the accountability coin, the tangible and the touchy-feely part. Yeah, it, it's that it's that culture, you know, and I, I, I tell leaders, the number one responsibility of the leader is to be the culture architect. You've got to be designing the culture. And that's gotten more difficult to do in the last year. Let's be honest. I mean, we can't, we, we've not been able to get it done with a packed room of people, you know, on Sundays or during the week in staff meetings. So it, it's been more difficult to kind of read the room but also kind of communicate and inspire people and, and, and move people to, to toward the vision. Yeah. Is, let me ask you this. You're at Church of the Highlands. Um, I was talking with Dino Rizzo from there this week, and D Dino was referring to, he used the word rebuilding, and you just used the word rebuilding. And so, uh, you know, I think of Church of the Highlands as either the largest or one of the largest churches in America, pre-COVID kind of thing. What, what's the context of rebuilding mean? You brought it up in the context of teams and stuff, but is that like an anomaly for Church of the Highlands or is that an issue for the average church right now that we need to come through COVID thinking about either relaunching, rebuilding, but the, the idea of re? Yeah, 
Um, I was just talking with the church about this, by the way. We'll talk about this offline, but uh, some new leaders that are coming on in our, into our coaching from Durham, North Carolina. Ah, how about that? Yeah, which is where <laughs> you are today. Uh, but every they're getting ready for reentry, and they're like, "Well, should 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 we should we come on board and get coaching now, or should we wait until we reenter?" I'm like, "This is an if you're not meeting yet, <laughs> you've got an amazing opportunity to almost like relaunch." And create a lot of buzz, you know, as you get ready to move back in this building. And the rebuilding thing also, you know, is we're seeing that across the board with pastors. I mean, if I've had one pastor tell me, I've had a hundred tell me, we still don't know who's with us and who's left. Like we 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 honestly don't know who we've got, what we've got, you know, just there's there's a large number of people that are just MIA. And I'm hearing that from pastors at my church. You know, who realized, man, we just kind of we got we're going to have to kind of start over in building team, building a team. And there are some people who've probably, you know, have left and fallen through the cracks or changed churches. You know, just a lot of stuff's happened in this process. So, yeah, but but that's a cool opportunity too. leaders say we're having to restart. We're having to rebuild. I'm like, well, okay, what were your offerings this past week? And how many people does that represent? You know, if I told a church planter they had that amount of money and that amount of people to start with, you know, their eyes would light up. So it's all a matter of perspective when it when it comes to rebuilding, relaunching. We have a lot to work with. And it's so easy as a pastor to get focused on who's leaving or who's left rather than, hey, some people have stayed. Mm -hmm. And I think our church is one of those examples of just say, hey, we're just going to go with the goers. You know, we're going to we're going to rebuild with who's here. And hey, no sweat. We started it the first time. We'll start it again. That's what's need to be done. I think there's a power that comes with that. Hmm. The uh, before we kind of move on, I think this idea of amp, I want to push in a little bit more to this idea of amplify and accelerate. Um, you've seen it in your coaching. We're seeing it at Exponential. I think a number of other leaders, Tom Rainer's written about it. Um, the idea that, you know, it's easy to think, oh my goodness, the world's turned upside down and everything's new and there's new normals and on. And in reality, we can look at a lot of what's happening and the trends were already there. COVID has, when we say amplify and accelerate, it's amplifying that which was already there or accelerating what was already there. And so just to put handles on that, I mean, if we take something like church attendance, what was happening to church attendance before COVID? It was declining. COVID's now accelerated a decline. And like you just said, part of the chaos and confusion for many of us is, oh my goodness, where's it going to settle out when it's all done? Is, is it going to be lower than it was, higher than it was, you know, kind of thing. Um, digital engagement, you know, it was already a trend every year. It's more, you know, from Netflix to other things. And now it's, it's accelerated kind of thing. Um, the, the, what you mentioned of decentralized leadership, people working from home and stuff, that's a trend that's in the marketplace happening. It's increasingly happening in churches. So um, I would encourage, Sean and I both have read, uh, Carrie Newhoff recently did a blog post called Seven Disruptive Trends for in Leadership. Uh, Google it and take a look at it. But those seven trends, the best of my reading of them, in, on one hand, I shake my head yes on every one of them. And on the other, they're not profound because in most of the cases, COVID is accelerating 
a trend in leadership that was already there. And it's really the acceleration and the uncertainty of what happens at the end of that acceleration that's the disruption. And, and so any, any thoughts on that, Sean? Yeah, I would just add to it, the former word you use is amplify. You know, it's, it's amplified some things that were maybe a little undercurrents. It's exposed some things and amplified some things that were there. You know, churches like our church, we were growing very, very rapidly, you know, but when you've got momentum, you're not as good as you think you are. You know, there are things that underneath that aren't being paid attention to, you know, but but you have such great momentum, it's not really hurting you. But then the COVID comes along, it kind of amplifies, you know, some of those issues, which we can see that as a terrible thing, or we can view that as, hey, man, we just had something that we might not have caught for a long time. Yeah. That really could have been a more, even more severe undoing. Now it's amplified that we can attack it, make it better, and we're gonna. I, I'm convinced there are a lot of churches going to be better for this. Hmm. Hmm. Well, it, it's uh, every once in a while, Sean. We'll we'll do on here a little bit of a geeky thing, and so uh, because I'm an engineer, we're going to do a geeky thing for the next. Minute. <laughs> uh, um, I love it. But, but it's your fault. You brought up the idea of momentum. So, uh, and you and I are in sync on this, I know. If we look at the definition of momentum, the, the physical mathematical definition of momentum, momentum is mass, the size of something. So, let's put this in terms of a church. It's it, in pre-COVID, it's that what's the number of people attending every Sunday, the mass. Um, and it's mass times speed how fast are we moving? And it's, and then direction, in what direction are we moving? And the two key elements there are our size and the movement in a direction. Well, if we want to talk about the chaos of COVID, what has happened for the average church with the mass and with the speed in a direction? They're both, you know, mass is down in almost, in, in most cases and speed for leaders, the type, you know, for you and I, I'll say for me, what brings me down during COVID is, oh my goodness, the spinning the wheels that we aren't moving in the direction we were moving before kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I do think it's safe to say that across the board, COVID can have, an, can have a general effect of slowing our momentum and whatever the momentum was. Yes. The opportunity in it is, momentum ebbs and tides, ebbs and tides, and you lose it, you gain it, you lose it, you gain it. The question is what kind of momentum? Well, the, the negative is we're going to have to build momentum coming out of this. The question is how proactive are we being at the direction that we're building the momentum toward? Is it going to be we're, we're hostage to, oh, we got to build it to the direction we were before, or are we going to adjust to the Maybe we need some new directional component. To, that's the real opportunity coming out of COVID. So any thoughts there? Yeah, I think the, the, you know, the, the pastors that are still thriving right now and are going to come out of this better for it are the ones who see this as opportunity. You know, you have to, you have to slow down in order to go fast. You know, so, hey, here's an opportunity for us to work on and get, you know, just just rebuild and get healthier and strengthen ourselves. You know, the ones that are struggling have had sort of a victim mentality 
and COVID has happened to us and we're just kind of waiting until things settle down and return to normal. And while they're waiting, you know, um, other people and other ministries, frankly, are going to capitalize on the opportunity. I think you're going to see in the fall of 2021, you heard it here first, <laughs> you're going to see some explosive attendance in some churches, yeah. but they're the ones who've just never really blinked. And they're like, okay, yeah, we've got to, re- we got to redefine the win. Yeah. You know, it's can't be packed rooms anymore. Nobody wants that anymore. Um, people didn't value that as much as we thought, as much as we valued it as pastors anyway, you know, so, but we're, we're going to come out, we're going to get, we're going to be healthier and stronger for this. You're going to see some explosive attendance growth in churches. Yeah. We're, what we're doing at Exponential, Sean, I mean, at our core, yeah, we're, we're a content equipping group, but I mean, we gather people at events is kind of the core of what we do. And we're, we're going to go for an entire year without one of our big events gathering people with COVID. And so part of what we've got to do is, okay, what assumptions are we making about the future is, you know, there's one end of the spectrum. There are people arguing that the church will never be the same. It's digital is the thing at this point. And then there's others arguing the other direction. I think part of the answer to churches that are continuing to grow and how do you maneuver your way through COVID, everyone needs to make their assumptions, not somebody else's assumptions, but what's your church and your organization and your business or ministry, what assumptions are you making for you for the future? Um, We had a question in the chat, you know, what are some of the practices of churches that are continuing to grow or organizations continuing to grow? I can say hands down, the churches that I talk to that are, that are, you know, attendance is hard to measure right now, but the ones that appear to be holding their own and that, you know, you think are going to keep growing. Um, what I would say is that they're just seeing a pause and a delay. There's no disruption in their vision and their intent. Um, the, the church, the, it's like, hey, we do see this as an opportunity and we're planning the next campus. We're planning the next service. We're, you know, yeah, we're delayed on doing the capital campaign, but it's coming back sort of, you know, there is a, uh, there's, there's an aspect of there's not an uncertainty about the future. There's a certainty about the future, and we just happen to be delayed a little bit right now. And it, it's an attitude um, kind of. You're thing. right. It's an attitude. You know, you know, you and I are both friends with Rick Warren. Yep. I, I was uh, I was speaking with his chief of staff this week, and and I made a mistake because I said, yeah, they're they're out of course in Southern California. And I said, yeah, I know you guys aren't meeting right now. And of course, David, he goes, oh no, no, no. We are meeting right now. He said, we're not occupying one building on Sundays. <laughs> he said, the ch- our church has never stopped meeting. We are the church and nothing has changed. And I was like, yes, thank you for that correction. Thank you for that case study. It just, it speaks to what you said, that attitude that, oh yeah, we, we just pivoted, moved on. We, we, we haven't blinked. And yeah. it's those churches that are going to come out of this thriving uh- and, and the assumption, the assumption we're making right, wrong, or indifferent for exponential at this point, I, I usually start by the high level saying, okay, the season we're in right now, I think I would characterize it as, yep, change management. There is change. How significant's the change? We're in a change management season. And anytime you're in a significant change management season, you got to ask the question, are we in the middle of evolutionary change or revolutionary change? Mm. And that's part of what paralyzes people is 
that the world would make us believe we are in the middle of revolutionary change at this point. Nothing's going to be the same. New normals, new da da da. And uh, again, I'm not prophetic at all, but the assumption we're making at Exponential is, yep, there's going to be some new normals, but you know what? It's not going to be an all digital, primarily digital thing because the church is a set of relationships and people, there's enough people so tired of digital, they, they're desperately wanting to be doing the face-to-face thing. So when you say you're predicting a resurgence of gatherings in the fall or conferencing or whatever next fall, I, that's the assumption we're making too, that there's, there's a resurgence coming. Now, will it be permanent and how high? Who knows? But uh, I, I think we would not be uh, doing a service to the church community if, if we uh, somehow thought there wasn't going to be a coming back of that. So, um, yeah, and, that, and, that, and that comes down to kind of what we wanted to talk about today, Todd, and really help guys in real time. You know, just there's a lot that we can be learning and, and cues we can be taking from Washington. That's kind of the purpose of this call today. And a lot of that has been, you know, we, we've watched pastors wrestle with reacting, responding, what to say, what not to say, how much to speak up, how much to speak out. A lot of that has to do with social media as well as the weekend services. I know you have offline and some online. Um, You've tried to live this, but you've talked to guys a lot about social media do's and don'ts and principles and parameters. I mean, are you willing to unpack some of that today? Sure. Yep. I, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll confess a burden here on this, which, you know, it goes back quite a ways, but you know, if I, I'm going to give you two data points on this. Um, I do my best and I'm, I'm, I have had a lot of downsides on it to try not to jump into the fray on social media. And it's so easy to get lured into it. And uh, I'm going to give you two data points. Last summer, if you, if you haven't figured out from looking at me, I'm an aging old white guy. Okay. <laughs> and um, last summer, I would open up my newsfeed and I've got a very large, loud contingent of people yelling, if you old white guys would just shut up and listen at this point, the world would be a better place. And then I've got another contingent that's yelling, if you old white guys would just jump in and engage the conversation, the world would be a better place. And that tension on social media of, you know, I I had to come to grips with, am I really going to be driven in my thinking and my action by what a bunch of people on social media are saying kind of thing. Fast forward to all this turmoil with this election. And I, I can't tell you, Sean, how many conversations I have with pastors that go something like, I can't win. Um, we used to have a saying in the nuclear Navy when I was in the nuclear, in one of the positions I had there. And the saying went like this. Um, you can't win. You can lose and you can't quit. You can't win. You can lose and you can't quit. And if you just let that sink in, that seems like kind of a helpless situation <laughs> kind of thing. And so uh, going into this, election cycle that I found myself uh, 
the evening of January 6th with all the turmoil and bad stuff happening at the Capitol, um, asking myself when I was going to bed that night, why am I more upset right now about the responses that I'm seeing on social media than I am about the events of the day? Good question. And so, you know, and I'm still pondering and thinking about that because yeah. the events of the day were really bad. But in my humble opinion here, the collective response of Christians these days on social media, I'm personally at a place where I think the name of Jesus would be made more famous if Christians would get off social media at this point. So uh, with that in mind, I decided in getting ready for this episode to go back and I made a list of 15 church leaders across the country, a wide range. And I said, I'm going to go look at their blog, their Facebook, their Twitter, their LinkedIn, and I'm going to look at 100% of the posts they've made from January 1st through, you know, around the 15th or 16th of January. And uh, it's, here's what I would say is, you know, those 15 leaders were names, you know, just across a spectrum kind of thing. Um, there's a significant divergence from what those 15 have done on social media, which is virtually nothing when it comes to the political scene. Of the 15 that I looked at, maybe two of the 15 who are more in the political space as Christian leaders made some comments, but I think 13 out of the 15 are what I call staying out of the fray. They're just not weighing into the fray. And let me give you an example. Of, of, so Carrie Newhoff, we mentioned earlier, Carrie made one post on what we're talking about. Okay. And that Carrie's from Canada. And Carrie's post was to my American friends on the left and the right, I'm praying for you guys. He didn't make a subtle comment against Trump or for Trump or against Democrats or if it was a, a comment to my American friends. And it's rare that you find that kind of post. I, I think what is normative in the average Facebook feed, for example, is what I would call people jumping into the fray. And jumping into the fray is how can I, can I get my voice the loudest and the most whatever uh, sort of thing. So it's in that context, Sean, um, you know, I could go down the list of multiple leaders that are just staying away from the fray. And I, I would say you were one of the 15 I looked at, you know, I needed to get ready thinking, oh my goodness, let's go see what Sean had on his stuff to make sure I wasn't walking into a landmine on this call. But um, you have managed, Sean, to stay out of the fray. In fact, I would say, you know, in looking at your social media stuff, it stays very focused. It's very on topic. It's, you know, I, there's themes to it, but, Talk to us a little bit about the the why and the how for you personally. You've obviously made a conscious decision to stay out of the fray, not to wade into it. Yeah. So well, why and how? Yeah. Well, I think, by the way, one of the values of coaching, I call it skipping over other people's pain. <laughs> you know, and I have learned through great, watching great coaches and great leaders in my life. Before I go do anything, I want to see what the great leaders are doing. <laughs> and I guarantee you, you know, I actually heard other 
mega church pastors say, we're watching to see what this church does. We're following their cue, you know, whatever. And there's some merit to that. There's some merit to that. Like, what? who are the wise leaders that I see out there and what I watch them doing? But for, for me personally, Todd, and I know there's some people who feel this way, it was drilled into me in seminary. Be careful not to preach, not to interpret Scripture with a Bible in this hand and a newspaper in this hand. Mm. Be careful. That's the, 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 the newspaper, and you could say in today's world, the social media is not your primary hermeneutical lens through which you interpret, you know, all the scriptures. So that was ingrained into me in my mm. theological training to be careful about that. Mm. So I've, I have been one of those leaders consistently. It's been a little bit slow to jump on the bandwagon, mm. jump on the media wagon, you know, when everybody else is, because I'd rather some drama, you know, and some emotion leak out of it a little bit. So we talked about COVID. We talked about racial issues in, in, in our communities, but we were, we were also careful and cautious and knowing that people are watching us, you know, not to lose influence with people that don't believe or behave just like us either. Hmm. Say that one more time. Say what you just said again. We were all just cautious and aware and had conversations as a team that we don't, we speak up and speak out, but we don't do so in such a way that we lose influence with people who don't think the way we think. And I've watched some pastors lose their right to reach people who believed and behaved differently than they did because they were so dogmatic in what they were saying. And I, I think it's a mistake. The Trump campaign would say to President, former President Trump and, and say, hey, you did a great job of pandering and communicating to your loyal tribe. Right. But you never figured out a way to message, and, you know, and change the opinions and influence people that weren't already on board with you. Yeah. yeah. And, and Sean, I, I think what you're saying is so spot on. Like, let, let me, let's use that. And here's, I'm going to say this as a theory, but I think it's right. Okay. Um, let's take, uh, let, let's just agree for this exercise that most people see themselves, they may not say it this way, but as an activist who want to have an influence in something, what you're an activist for healthy pastors and coaching. I'm an activist for multiplication. Most people, the combination of having a social media platform with a desire to build a platform with a voice and influence, you know, that's sort of the perfect storm for this. Everyone, an activist, social media is my platform. What's my voice? And let's assume for a minute that there's three groups of people then within there relative to each of our activisms. And here's my theory. I think 40% of people roughly are going to agree with me that are in what you'd call the base mobile, you know, when Trump panders to his base kind of thing, we all have a base yeah, and we all pander to our base. And let's just call that a 40%. We almost can't say anything wrong. That's going to make that 40% upset. Yeah. What we don't realize on the other end of the spectrum, there's another 40% that if we're really being activists with an opinion on something, there's another 40% that probably aren't going to agree with us no matter what we say or how we say it. Not going to change their mind. Not going to change their mind. Yeah. If influence is our issue, 
it's the 20% in the middle that we got. And when you say we function in a way not to alienate the ones we're trying to reach, the way I interpret that is that 20% that we actually have a chance to influence, we're communicating in a way that we don't disenfranchise them. Here's what I think a lot, a lot of us miss on social media. As long as we just keep trying to pander, I, I would say, I think President Trump probably lost because of what you, he's pandering to the 40% and the way he's pandering to the 40% disenfranchises the 20%. Forget the other 40%, they're gonna agree with him no matter what. It's, you know, and if we're really getting specific, his conduct on the last one or two debates absolutely disenfranchised that middle 20%. It's how, you know, and so I think this alienation part happens on the, on the 20%. So and the reason it's so scary and so subtle is that that 40% that's around us, they are, they're the vocal minority. I mean, they're the ones cheering, you know, they're the ones already following us. They're the ones already coming to church. You know, all of that. So so if we're not careful, you know, that that we think everybody's for us when in reality, that's a vocal minority. Right. Showing up at the rallies. Right. Showing up at the services. There is a there's a silent army out there that's looking for answers, looking for hopes, almost almost begging, hey, say something. (laughs) That, yep. that allows me to engage with you. And I see pastors forfeiting that right, you know, so often and, and po- polarizing, you know, rather than uniting, which, you know, of course, a lot of leaders have been guilty of doing, you know, in Washington. I thought the most powerful image from the inauguration day yesterday, I know you'll agree with me, the three former presidents, Republican and Democrats. I don't know who pulled that together, but they were brilliant. And they they honored deeply divided on political issues. And yet they they acted as brothers. Yeah. You know, and and President uh, George W. Bush said, you know, said, said, you know, we need to learn how to love our neighbor, you know, as we love ourselves. And and I would say we need to love our neighbor as we love people who are just like us, (laughs) you know, as well. And and but but all all three of those Republicans and Democrats were were careful to to honor each other, and 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 um you know almost submit to one another in that conversation. It was beautiful, and I I, I pray there's much more of that. That that's a cue we can take in the church, frankly. Yeah. Because man, we are the first to shoot our wounded. We are the first to be pharisaical and strain at theological gnats and critique and criticize churches and pastors that don't do it just like we do it. And I think we're going to be judged for that. Mm-hmm. Well, what? let's do this, Sean. I, I think as you and I talk through getting ready for this episode, you know, some shows are easy. It's systems or culture or staffing when it comes to leadership, you know, trying to put a title on what we're trying to extract on these lessons. Um, where Sean and I landed here is, is the idea of leaders need to be peacemakers. And if, if we look at, you know, what is one of the largest opportunities right now in society? I think Sean and I would agree that at least in our lifetimes, 
the level of cynicism around us, the level of disunity around us. What an unbelievable time for leader, Christian leaders, whether it's marketplace leaders, pastors, to be peacemakers is such an incredible thing. Now, you know, what's the opposite of a peacemaker? A troublemaker. And so uh, what I'd like to do, Sean, I'm going to share my screen on on just looking at what the Bible has to say on this idea of peacemaking and troublemaking. And what I'd like to do, you're so good at the practical turning it into, so what's this mean for action? And so as we go through this, just a quick distinction in troublemakers versus peacemakers, if you would, when we come out of this, just be prepared to, as we're looking through this couple of slides, um, what, you know, what are kind of three practices of peacemakers, practical application that church leaders can, uh, you know, could embrace, I guess, or business leaders. Does that sound yeah. fair? Yeah. You know, I think, I think some people would hear us speaking today and say, are you not saying that we should speak up and speak out? And I don't, I don't think either one of us are right. saying that it's, I tell pastors all the time, you can be right and not be righteous about it. <laughs> You can do the right thing the wrong way and still blow everything and everyone up. So we're really talking about wisdom and we're really talking about, you know, living like Christ, like he lived his life, you know, and he said, blessed, happy, you know, are the peacemakers, you know, for they will inherit the earth. And what, so we've got to work to make peace. So as I just think about, a few expressions of that, you know, one, to be a peacemaker, you speak in ways that don't alienate or polarize people. You know, I think Jesus did this well. You know, they tried to get him, you know, to speak out against the government. And he saw injustices there. You know, Rome was being unfair in so many ways. Um, but he chose to really focus on what he was for, things that united, not things that divided his congregation. And man, we need to be careful that we seek to do that and speak a message of unity and love and focus on what we're for, not what we're against. And oh, that pastors will begin to speak up and speak out. But it's about good news, not bad news. The gospel means good news. So that means we speak in a way that that gives people hope, that encourages people and moves people to, you know, to hope. And then secondly, just being a peacemaker means we, we don't lose our poise. You know, um, love is not easily anchored. <laughs> so if we if we love our if we love our neighbors, we love ourselves like we don't lose our poise. You know, to maintain your poise is like this this dignified, self-composed manner. You know, and I see I see pastors losing their poise out there. And you don't make peace when you lose your temper, you know, and you're given into fits of rage. That's a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the spirit. You know, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. So there's a way, you know, to, to speak out and stand up, but do it in a, in a, in a, in a poised, dignified, honoring way that, you know, doesn't, show we're reacting, but we are responding. And then, of course, treating every person with honor and dignity. I shot this thought to you last week, this idea of Imago Dei, you know, the Latin term for image of God. I think a lot of us really have a hard time thinking, you know, if we're a Republican, that Joe Biden is created in the image of God. 
if you're a Democrat, that, that Donald Trump is created in the image of God. But that's what the Bible says. Male and female, he created them in his image. And so, it, it, and this, gives, this is my family. This is my spouse. This is my children. This is pastors that I don't agree with. This is political parties. Like every person is created in the image of God. That means, I, man, I should treat them as a person of worth and dignity and esteem and recognizing that, that that seed of the image of God is placed inside of every single person. And there's opportunity to tap into that. It's that God-shaped vacuum in every person's heart. So, man, what an opportunity if I do that, you know, well, to, to not attack and dishonor people, you know. So those are just thoughts we have today about being practical about this. And I, I think, Sean, on that question of, you know, of do we stay silent or do we engage? Uh, the, what what helps me think that question through is it is to put on a missionary hat rather than a maybe a business leader. Yeah, I mean, think through the lens of a missionary for a minute, um, and and who am I trying to reach, and what's it even mean to alienate the people I'm trying to reach? You know, if, if I'm truly a missionary going into a new culture. The fastest way I'm going to alienate is by violating the rule, you know, the the things on their terms, sort of thing. So, it, when I think about now, bring it to Facebook as a mission field. How many people on Facebook see Facebook as a mission field? Hmm. And yeah. the answer is not very many. Yeah. And the and the reason we can say not very many because missionaries wouldn't engage the way most people engage on Facebook because they would alienate and polarize because they don't maintain their poise because it's not always respectful kind of thing. And I think this doesn't mean you avoid. I think the question is as a missionary, is this a topic that there's anything even redeeming out of me engaging on this as a missionary on Facebook what value am I going to add even engaging in this conversation that's happening? And then I think the second question is when there is a conversation that, yes, I do need to engage, the posture in which I engage in it, is it a posture that's going to alienate and pull? Am I even thinking through the lens of who I might alienate or polarize uh, when, I, when I do it kind of thing? I yeah, think, I think I, I'm I'm told uh, Todd and for, I've, I've never been a foreign missionary, never been gone through gone through foreign missionary training, but they tell missionaries moving into the you know developing country or something like we don't want you to preach, we don't want you to teach, we don't want you to try to convert anybody, you know, for for months until you understand the culture, you know, and you gain permission among the people. You know, to, you earn their trust and the right to be listened to. Mm. <laughs> oh, that we could adopt those missionary principles <laughs> on Facebook right now. Like, th- don't say anything until you kind of thought through the lenses of the people that you're you're trying to reach, you know, and you earn the right, you know, in the relationship and you have the relational equity and to, to speak in because that's when you're going to have the opportunity to influence Right. You know, them the best. I think uh, I'm going to share one more time what I was going to share a few minutes ago, just going through the differences in troublemakers real quick. Um, are you there, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I mean, again, just turning to scripture from Proverbs, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And if, if, if you know, which of these things is not necessarily like the others? I mean, sowing discord might seem like not as significant a thing as hands that shed innocent blood, for heaven's sake. <laughs> um, but, you know, God's pretty serious about this issue of sowing discord. And, um, you know, if we go on then in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, the, this is the right before the, uh, the fruits of the spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. There's that discord again. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And if, if we really kind of unpack these terms, Sean, the idea of discord, okay, um, dissension is a disagreement that leads to discord. Discord is a lack of unity that produces, sound familiar, quarreling, factions, strife, scorn, antagonism. Strife is a struggle for superiority, which is about us having our own voice louder than someone else. Scorn, the vocalized feeling of a belief that an idea or person is worthless or discipical. Scoffer, someone who speaks about a person or idea in a way that shows they think that person or idea is stupid or silly, the messenger of scorn. And then we tie it all together, a troublemaker, someone who sows dissension, discord, strife, trouble, scoffer. And then we see that a peacemaker is the opposite. Blessed are the peacemakers uh, and peacemakers sow and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so, you know, without just trying to sound too biblical here, I mean, this idea for leaders that we, leaders have a voice, leaders influence. We're either building influence through troublemaking and discord, or we're building influence by being peacemakers. And I, I think it's just those things you shared earlier, the three principles is just so important that we're focused on the, on the positives. Yeah. And just, you know, I know we're running out of time. I, I agree with everything you're saying. A couple thoughts I have, you know, I, we've, we have a lot of leaders, you know, we kind of put a coach on retainer for a church, you know, when we, we are in a relationship and of course our phones have blown up the last year a lot. And, should I, should I speak out on this? What should, should I respond to this? You know, and I always ask them, Hey, does it meet the sixfold test? You know, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If it meets all six of those criteria. Yes. Hmm. If not, just because it's true, just because it's right, just because it's untrue doesn't mean we need to react you know, to it or respond to it. It needs to check all the boxes. If it's not excellent or praiseworthy and admirable, lovely about a person or a political party or whatever, I'm not going to say it. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really focus on what we're for. And I think right now is an amazing time for pastors, you know, to, to really talk about the good in America. Hmm. There's a good, God has blessed our nation. I love the United States of America. I love my country. I praise God for people who have given their lives for the religious freedoms that we enjoy. I'm proud to be an American. 
And if pastors will start talking like that, I'm telling you, everybody's interested in that message. Everybody. Mm. Everybody is interested in good news right now. Mm. Everybody's interested in that. And so the last thing I would say today is a lot of pastors who have heard us today (laughs) realize they've blown it. (laughs) And the good news is like Jesus died for that sin too, you know, and it's an easy thing to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've lost my poise. (laughs) I've not been a peacemaker at times during this thing. You know, I've been right, but not wise about it. And maybe there are some human beings. Confess your sins to one another. Maybe healed. Some of us may need to go on Facebook and say, hey, I think I owe the world apology because I think I've acted like an idiot a couple of times on here. And I tell leaders, like, you think you're going to lose credibility when you apologize? Everybody knows you're stupid anyway. (laughs) You'll actually get credibility by showing your humility and your EQ to just acknowledge your mistakes. And so there's that great opportunity out there to recover and and start a pathway toward recovery. So I hope that's encouraging for guys. Thanks, Sean. Hey, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We're going to be back in two weeks. We're going to really start pressing into some specific leadership topics in the coming weeks. So uh, be sure to sign up in a couple of weeks. Few things. There'll be some show notes with the stuff we've talked about today that you can come back to the website and download the show notes and some of the things we put on the screen. Secondly, Sean mentioned earlier the decentralized teams into the future. Um, He won't bring this up, so I'm going to bring it up. Um, Today, I think, Sean, uh, your ministry put out a brand new free online course called TeamsCrashCourse.com. If people will go to TeamsCrashCourse.com, there's a free course there on building healthy teams. So I I just want to encourage people to go check that out. Um, And then finally... Uh, we talked about future gatherings and people's desires to be together. Um, we're planning at Exponential for later in like the April time period um, to do a bunch of exponential roundtables across the country. Those are small group gatherings, uh, you know, from anywhere from 30 to 100 people at roundtables. We take care of all the programming from the Exponential side. All you have to worry about is hosting. If anybody who's listening would be interested in uh, hosting an exponential roundtable, we we provide the content, the you know all of the support help. You just do the convening of some small groups at roundtables at your place, and those will be in the April May time period. So you can check those out at multiplication.org/host. Thanks again for joining us, Sean. Appreciate you being with us, and looking forward to next time. Enjoyed it as always, my friend. Let's do it again. We'll do it again.